Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 6. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 6. We're also going to be continuing our study in the book of Genesis. I told Shane this morning that we're going to be finishing Genesis pretty soon. And uh, she kind of laughed. Four more years? I said, no, it won't be that long. Um, I do believe that the Lord is leading me that when we finish the book of Genesis, we're going to preach through the gospel of Matthew on Sunday morning. Um, Matthew chapter number 6, and then go to Genesis 42 and hold your place. But before I um, read scripture this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about something that happened to me this morning. I got Shane's permission to tell this. Um, well, somebody this week sent Shane this little message that said, if you're the wife of a preacher, you've got the right to hold your silence because anything you say may be used in a sermon illustration. Uh, well, my kids and Shane probably know that's true, but I got her permission. Uh, because I want to tell you something this morning about me. Um, something that's not flattering about me. Um, as I began to study, and of course, I study and study and study through Genesis and then go into the Gospels and, and make the applications and all of that. About two weeks ago, I, I knew that I was going to be preaching this message today. Um, and I know we've been in the life of Joseph for some time and I, I probably could preach the life of Joseph uh, in the context of his representation in the Old Testament of Christ from now till the day I die and not even begin to touch all that there is to touch but when I began to know that I was going to be where we're at today in Genesis 42, Matthew uh, chapter number 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, um, I begin to sense how important it was for the people of God to hear this message. And I was praying that God's people, you, would receive this message, um, hear this message, and then apply this message and I was asking God to apply this message and what goes on in your life. And I knew how important it was. And I got up this morning, walked in there, poured myself a cup of coffee. And within 20 seconds, I was so mad at Shane, I could have bit nails. Now, all of us laugh, but we've all been there. Amen. And I'm going to tell you how far it went and how deep it went. I knew in that instant that Satan was trying to, uh, to, to stop what was supposed to happen this morning. And I still couldn't stop myself from getting mad. Even though I knew that it was a work of Satan going on in my life, I still let it happen. Well, I go in there and pour some creamer into my coffee. <laughs> and spill my coffee all over the place 
So here I am, I'm mad at shame for no reason. I've spilled my coffee. And I'm in no shape to come in here and speak to the people of God. None whatsoever. Something's got to change. Well, here's what I believe the Lord spoke to me. He said, Keith, you've been trying to apply this message to these people that are going to be there listening this morning. You're even stretching that thing out there and applying it to Shane's aunt who may or may not come to church next Sunday to hear the gospel. But when are you going to start applying it in your own heart and in your own life? A dagger going in. I want you to know something this morning. Your preacher's not perfect. Shane's forgiven me. She's lived with me for 27 years. She knows that from time to time. Uh, I say that to say this. There's not a person in here this morning that walked through these doors that's not dealing with something like that. Now, I don't know what it looks like in your life. It may look totally different than what it looks like in my life. What I do know is that we've all got those issues. And I believe the reason I, I, I told Shane, I said, Shane, I can't get up and preach unless I tell this what happened this morning. So it's either I'm going to have to go in there and say, Ed, you got it this morning. And you know how Ed is. He never sinned, so, you know, he'd probably been all right. I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. Y'all need to laugh. Amen. So Ed would have been all right. But if I hadn't have told this story this morning and confessed to the people of God that I'm a sinner just like you are with the same emotions and the same proclivity to fail in reaching towards the stars, I couldn't have got up here and spoke to you this morning without doing that. My dear wife who's put up with my craziness all these years um, immediately forgave me for getting mad she's good at that um, but before I could get up here I had to apply what this message is about to me and I, I've done that church um, there was a lady named Corey Ten Boom most of y'all know the story she wrote a book called The Hiding Place her and her family hid Jewish people during the Second World War from the Nazis. And they were ultimately discovered and sent to a concentration camp. Corey barely survived until the end of the war. And, of course, her sister died just before the end of the war. And, uh, well, all of her family died before the end of the war. And she saw all the atrocities and all the torture that was inflicted upon her her and her family and others. And Corey's faith in God survived this Nazi concentration camp. And after the war, she spent much of her time in post-war Germany traveling, uh, telling what God had done and sharing her faith in Christ. But on one occasion in 1947, she was speaking at a church in Munich and 
she noticed this little balding man in a gray overcoat near the rear of the room and she'd been speaking on the subject of God's forgiveness and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, an example of forgiveness in the life of Joseph. Well, when she saw this balding man in that gray coat, her heart froze. So did her mouth. You see, she recognized the man. She could picture him as he had been inside the Nazi concentration camp. Not as a prisoner, but in his blue uniform as a Nazi concentration camp guard. Not just any guard, but the cruelest of guards. So she saw that Ravensbrück concentration camp in her mind, saw this guard in her mind. She saw the torture that he had inflicted upon others, the indignities and all the shame that he had brought, and even her own sister as she suffered at his hand. And in her mind, she saw all of this at once. Once she was done speaking, this Nazi concentration camp guard walked up to her and said, thank you for such a fine message. He thrust out his hand and he said, how wonderful it is to know that all our sins are forgiven and at the bottom of the sea. She had said that. She had spoken so easily about God's forgiveness, but here was a man in whom she despised and condemned with every fiber of her being. Corey Ten Boom could not take his hand. She couldn't extend the forgiveness to this Nazi oppressor. And she realized that while this man didn't remember her, she certainly remembered him and how could she forgive him. She mentioned Ravensbrook, the man's hand still extended. I was a guard there, he said. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's been hard for me to forgive myself and for all the cruel things I did, but I know that God has forgiven me. He looked at Corey and he said, Please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips too that God has forgiven me. Here's the recorded message from Corey's book, The Hiding Place. This is a quote. She said, I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with my coldness clutching my heart. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. We've come a long way in Genesis. We've watched Joseph's life unfold. But there's something 
left undone in the life of Joseph that we're going to talk about this morning, and that is forgiveness, the forgiveness of his brothers. I think the reason that Joseph could do that is he understood the control and the sovereignty of God. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus taught his disciples that if someone sinned against them seven times in one day and seven times came back and said, I repent, they were to forgive each time. The response of the disciples was candidly honest, like mine and yours might be. Lord, increase our faith. You see, it takes a lot of faith to forgive, especially on that level. Well, just like with Corey Ten Boom, when we forgive, God moves in. But to truly forgive, like Joseph, we must trust that God is in control. Matthew chapter number 6, verse 14, the Bible says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Boy, that's good news. But listen to what he says in verse 15. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. The hard part there is he didn't qualify what those trespasses may or may not be. So Corey Ten Boom, who had suffered at the Nazi concentration camp guards' hands, was just as much under this commandment as the person who had had something said to them that hurt their feelings. You see, we must forgive if we are to be forgiven. I could go on and say this. A person who has unforgiveness in their heart cannot be a child of God. I mean, that's paraphrasing, that's taking the lesson from what Jesus is saying here, but we could say it something like that, that if we've not yet forgiven, if we hold unforgiveness in our heart, then we have not yet been forgiven. So Joseph trusted God and allowed him to forgive. I believe that Joseph is a model of a man who lives his life in response to the Romans 8.28 principle that all things work together for good to those who love God. And because he did that, he understood and knew and was able to forgive even the most horrendous of crimes that had been committed against him. Joseph knew that. I believe from his life there's three principles that God has built into the very fabric of reality that enabled Joseph to forgive. And they can do the same for us. Three principles as Joseph lives out this example of forgiveness, principle number one, the principle of reaping. Genesis 42, beginning at verse number 21. Genesis chapter number 42, verse number 21. Listen to what the Bible says now. Here's Joseph. He's down in Egypt. The famine's come. Jacob said to the sons, hey, you're going to have to go down there and find food. We're starving to death over here. So go down there and see if you can find us some food in Egypt. The brothers come. They meet Joseph. They don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. Joseph begins to speak in front of them, but they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph understands what they say, though, because his first language is Hebrew, not Egyptian. So in verse number 21, they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us. And we would not hear, therefore is this distress come upon us. 
And Reuben answered them, saying, Speak I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child. Going back to when they threw Joseph in the pit and left him for dead, Reuben said, Don't sin against the child, and you wouldn't hear. Therefore, behold, all so his blood is required. The principle of reaping. So Joseph's down there. He's in Egypt. The brothers don't recognize him. It's been 20 years probably around that time since they had seen Joseph. He had changed a lot. He had adopted the, he walked like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. He dressed like an Egyptian. But he was still Hebrew at heart. And they didn't recognize him because of those outward signs and outward uh, characteristics that Joseph had. But they understood that once Joseph talked rough to them, hey, we may be in trouble here. Daddy sent us down here to buy food and things ain't going so well for our people or us. They attribute that misfortune for, uh, to payback for the injustice that they had committed. They can still remember young Joseph's distress as, they, as he cried out in the pit. Can you imagine all of those years, every single time something bad happened to them? This is because of what we did to Joseph. This is because we threw Joseph in a, in a pit. I mean, the famine comes and Jacob says, go down to Egypt. And I read that just a couple of weeks ago, how as soon as he said Egypt, the kids began getting together and talking. And Jacob said, why are you whispering amongst each other? Why? Because there was that guilty feeling of what they had done so many years past. And here's the principle there. Not a one of us ever gets away with anything. The law of reaping. The Israelites, one of the great differences between their culture and our culture today is when something bad happened to the people of Israel. They didn't try to lay it off on the fault of God or reality or the structure of the culture they were in or the people around them. The Israelites, when something happened, whether it was the flood or whether it was being taken into captivity or time of the judges being oppressed uh, by different groups of people, they said, we have sinned. We have done something wrong. And in that, they were able to uh, repent and turn back to God. And, and God would restore them, but it wouldn't be long they'd forget again, right? And then they'd be right back in the shape they were in. But there's a principle there that uh, Joseph understood. You see, Joseph had the power to be taking revenge upon his brothers, but he didn't do that because he understood the, the principle of reaping that his brothers, while it may have looked like it from the outside, hadn't got away with a thing. And he understood that, and because of that, Joseph, this man that had been so wronged, could withhold his anger from the brothers. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 7, Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap, both good and bad. If he sows to the Spirit, he'll reap wonderful spiritual blessings, but if he sows to the flesh, he will reap corruption. As Galatians 6 tells us, God pays back every single trouble that the Christian goes through. So if you're here this morning, and there's the tiniest root of bitterness in you for a wrong that's been done. I'm telling you this morning, 
that person ain't got away with it. It may look like it on the outside. So you can release that thing this morning because God takes vengeance. He says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not our place to take vengeance. It's His place to take vengeance. And He simply says to us, trust me that I'm a sovereign God and I'm working all things out for my glory. So let that thing go. Don't hold on to it any longer. The principle of reaping, we don't get away with anything. Every evil, every torture, every wrong that's ever been done in the history of the world, God's not forgotten. And He will repay, saith the Lord. Number two, the principle of releasing. The principle of relief, uh, 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 of reaping, but not only that, the principle of releasing. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 41. Just a little bit over Genesis 41, verse number 51. I'm going to have to hurry. Joseph's down in Egypt. All this has taken place. Um, He has a child. He marries. And listen to what it says in verse number 51 of of chapter 41. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Well, here's Joseph. He's down in Egypt. He chose a name for his child that had a significant symbolic meaning. It meant that forgetfulness, Joseph was able to forget all about his father, all that had been done to him, the wrong that had been done to him. And I'm going to tell you something. It's nice to be able to forget when people do wrong to us, is it not? but it ain't possible, and it wasn't possible with Joseph. Look what it says over here in chapter number 42, verse number 23. I'm going to read quickly. And they knew not Joseph that understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter, and he turned himself about from them and wept. Why would he weep if he had forgotten? And returned to them again and communed with them and took them from Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Well, let's turn over to chapter number 43, verse number 30. Look what the Bible says. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. Why would he be weeping if he had forgotten? Turn over to chapter number 45, verse 1 and 2. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren, and he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. Well, let's just turn over a few short verses to verse number 14. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. What am I trying to tell you this morning? Joseph had not forgotten. He was still clinging to that thing. It was still bothering him. Yes, he may have named his son Manasseh and made this statement. But he needed to release that thing that had been done to him. And he had not yet done that. Now, Joseph had a choice. His choice was not to forget. You and I are not God. We cannot forget. We can't just turn that thing off and say, hey, like God, I'm going to cast that thing into the sea of forgetfulness. I'm going to put it as far as the east is from the west. No, we can't do that. We're not him. If we could do that, we'd be God. But what we can do is make a choice. And Joseph had a choice to make. He could have brought vengeance upon him. I mean, he had armies at his disposal. That's choice number one. Choice number two was he could simply forgive them. And that's what God asked all of us to do this morning. And thank God that Joseph chose that second route. 
He had a choice and he chose to forgive his brothers for the decades old injustice. And when he did that, he experienced and modeled the principle of releasing. He could not forget, but he could forgive. And in so doing, Joseph released his own pain, his own hurt that he'd been carrying right there on the surface. Why would he weep every time he looked at his brothers if he had forgotten? No, he hadn't forgotten. He just needed to release that thing and forgive his brothers. A lecturer stood before his audience and he raised a glass of water and he asked, how heavy is this glass of water? Answers came from all over the building, 10 ounces, 16 ounces, 18 ounces. The lecturer replied, well, in one way, the absolute weight doesn't really matter because it depends on how long I try to hold it. If I hold it for a minute, that's not a problem. If I hold it for an hour, I'll have an ache in my arm. If I hold it for a day, you'll have to call an ambulance. And a week would kill me. In each case, it's the same weight. But the longer I hold it, the heavier it becomes. And that's the way it is with unforgiveness. The longer we hold on to it, the heavier and more damaging it becomes. The sooner we release it the better. I want to read you a quote from Christian theologian and author Lewis Meads. Here's what he said. Carrying a grudge is a loser's game. It is the ultimate frustration because it leaves you with more pain than you had in the first place. Recall the pain of being wrong, the hurt of being stung, cheated, demeaned. Doesn't the memory of it fuel the fire of fury again? Do you feel that hurt each time your memory lights on the people who did you wrong? Your own memory becomes a videotape within your soul that plays unending reruns of your old rendezvous with pain. Is this fair to yourself? This wretched justice of not forgiving? The only way to heal the pain that will not heal itself is to forgive the person who hurt you. Forgiving heals your memory as you change your memory's vision. And when you release the wrongdoer from the wrong. You cut a malignant tumor out of your inner life. You set a prisoner free. And that prisoner is yourself. The principle of releasing. Just simply forgive and let it go. And let God work out the details. Number three, and I'll close. The principle of redemption. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 50. I've already been there several, several times since we've been studying through. This is kind of the culmination of Genesis, I think. Genesis chapter number 50. You know the story. Joseph, his whole family's in Egypt. They've been down there for some time, uh, probably years by now. And Joseph's father, Jacob, dies. And as soon as he dies, the brothers say, uh-oh, daddy's dead. It's time now. Joseph's going to get his due. And they're scared and they go to Joseph and they tell him, hey, daddy said not to hurt us. Daddy said let's get along after he died. And here we are in Genesis chapter 50, verse number 19, and we see Joseph's response. And Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. The principle of redemption. Dr. John Rice, a great evangelist who's now gone to be with the Lord, was asked to conduct a revival meeting at a 
Baptist Church in Woodbine, Texas. Divisions and strife had broken the heart of the pastor until he had resigned. The county missionary hoping to see the church revived. God's work made prosperous. Asked Dr. Rice if he would come and preach a revival service. And he came and he found the whole community divided. One of the deacons actually had a fist fight in the parking lot of the church. And many had taken a vow never to return to that little country church. Dr. Rice didn't know all the details of that quarrel, but with a burden in his soul, he preached. He urged God's people to clean up their lives and pleaded with them to make peace with their neighbors and not hold on to that unforgiveness. And night after night he preached, and those who had been angry at others were now angry at him. One morning, a woman in the community started to make a telephone call to tell Dr. Rice just what she thought of all of his meddling in their affairs. But her 19-year-old son stopped her and said, Mama, you're wrong. I've just been out in the woods to pray and I know Brother Rice is right. If we Christians do not get right with each other, we can never get right with God and have a revival. And I, for one, am going to try to get it right. His mother hung up the phone and did not make the call. In the next service, Dr. Rice called for a time of testimony with tears streaming down her face, one woman rose to beg forgiveness of another woman with whom she had quarreled. The other woman swiftly rose and came to meet her. They put their arms around each other and embraced. Confessions started coming from all parts of the building. The deep moving of God was upon the people as they began to make restitution, ask forgiveness, give forgiveness, and seek Christian fellowship. That afternoon, the news went out into the community like wildfire. That night, the little church was so crowded that all the people couldn't fit in and the windows had to be open and people were standing around outside. People came to the church who had not been there in months and even years. Some who had vowed they would never enter the building again were in attendance. From the very beginning of the service, the Holy Spirit was there. Dr. Rice preached the gospel and the invita at the invitation men and women accepted Jesus as their Savior with tears streaming down their face. The church was revived. Dozens were saved. Hundreds of Christian uh, people made restitution and give and uh, receive forgiveness. And people came from miles around to fill that little church for the rest of the meeting that lasted for four more months because one person decided that they were going to forgive. You see, Joseph was able to see this. At the age of 56 now, possibly uh, somewhere between 39 and 56, he was able to look back and he saw the randomly twisted, senseless, painful road that he had traveled. And in that he understood that God had a purpose to redeem others through all that he had went through. And if we'll take God at His word and realize that He's sovereign, we can stop worrying about the wrong that's been done and start focusing on the redemption that God wants to perform in and through what's taken place in our lives. You know the story about Nate and Saint and Jim Elliott, those missionaries that were killed by the Aka Indians down there in Ecuador in 1956? Savage. They took them and they slaughtered them while they were down there trying to uh, just preach the gospel to them. A movie was made of that through Gates of Splendor. But the good news is that uh, uh, Jim Elliott's wife and Nate Saint's son and 
uh, Jim Elliott's children went back to the Alka Indians and they forgave them and they preached the gospel to them. And the very man that had killed Jim Elliott that had given the final blow became a Christian and adopted his sons as his own children and received forgiveness from that family after he had killed the father and the husband. And because of that, the whole village was saved to the point that their name was changed from Aka, which means vicious or savage killers, to Wadani, which means God's people. If Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and those other missionaries had not had given up their lives and had that wrong suffered to them and had Elizabeth Elliott and, and Nate Saint's family not forgiven them and went back and took the gospel to them, a whole village would have died and went to hell without Christ. You see, God wants to work through everything, the good and the bad, to bring redemption into the lives of people. But we, God's people, have to stop wearing our feelings on our shoulders and let some things go and realize that we're all sinners in the sight of God and we're all going to make mistakes and not leave this building this morning with all against anyone because if we do that, we may be keeping someone out of heaven. Forever. In 1818, I'm going to say this and I promise you I'm done. A fellow by the name of Ignaz Samelez, he was working in the world uh, as a, what do you call it, a gynecologist. He was delivering babies in 1818. And Samelez was kind of crazy. He got this idea that if doctors would start, start washing their hands that not so many women would die in childbirth. You see, at that time, something like one out of four or one out of five women were dying in childbirth. Because the doctors were starting that morning doing autopsies on dead bodies, and then they'd have several surgeries, and then they'd go in there and start taking care of pregnant ladies and never once stop to wash their hands. You see, they didn't understand what we know today uh, if you just simply wash your hand, you can remove a lot of germs and uh, prevent a lot of degree, uh, diseases. They didn't know that back then. It wasn't that they were being mean. They just simply did not know. So Dr. Samelez got the idea that, hey, I'm going to try this, and he did. And before long, he had only lost 184 mothers out of 8,537 deliveries. He was doing something right. So what did he do? He started going around lecturing. He debated with his colleagues. He said, listen, this fever is caused from decomposed material conveyed to a wound, and I've shown you how it can be prevented. I've proved all that I've said, but while we talk, 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 gentlemen, women are dying. I'm not asking anything world-shaking. I'm simply asking you to wash your hands. But virtually no one believed him. Doctors and midwives have been doing this for hundreds, of, maybe even thousands of years. And nobody was going to listen to this crazy Dr. Samelez. So at age 47, he died insane. His wash basins discarded, his colleagues laughing in his face, and the death rattle of a thousand more women women ringing in his ears. The question is, this morning, how often do we wash our hands? How often do we wash our hearts? You see, just like those doctors that the germs and the stuff that caused disease and illness built up over time, 
You and I pick up things in this world that we live in. Oh, we don't mean to, do we? Those doctors didn't mean to make anybody sick. But life throws stuff at us, pain and heartache. I mean, people do other people wrong. And Jesus is simply asking, wash your hands. And if we believe the principle of redemption, it will wash our hands and wash our hearts. Somebody, somebody's life might be saved. Not spend an eternity separated from God. But God's people, just like those doctors there in Hungary, will sit stone cold faced. Knowing, knowing that our hands and our hearts need to be washed so that somebody might come to know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word in this life of Joseph. God, what a life it was. And in the midst of terrible oppression and terrible wrongdoing, he was able to look at his brothers and say, yeah, I know you meant it for evil. He didn't hide the fact that it was evil. But God used it for good. Because I trust his law of reaping that no one gets away with anything. Because I realize that I've got to release that thing and forgive. And I trust him that when I do that, he can redeem and save people. And that's what the book says, that he saved very many people alive. God, I pray this morning you'd help your people trust in the cross the one that cried out while he was there being crucified father forgive them for they know not what they do that we'd be able to put that principle into practice in Jesus name and for his sake and for his glory amen